chapter 18 tonight, so open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 18, and this, the uh, title of the message tonight is, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? It's a great question. We see that in our text tonight. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I could have subtitled this, The laughter of doubt, because we're going to see Sarah. Sarah is in this story tonight, and she is going to laugh tonight in our story, because uh, she's told she's going to get pregnant, and she just thinks that's a hilarious thing, and uh, you'll, you'll get it as we go through the story tonight, but uh, we're here in Genesis chapter 18 as we continue our verse-by-verse study. If you've been here from the beginning, I don't know how many of you were here last year. It was just the same weekend last year that we started Genesis, we were in chapter 1, verse 1 last week. How many were here? Raise your hand. So about half of you. That's really great. Thanks for hanging in there. I'm glad that you're still here, and and we're just going to work our way through Genesis. So who knows? Maybe it'll be a two-year study. I don't know. Uh, I'm just not in a hurry. You might be in a hurry, and you're welcome to read ahead. You can go for it. There's some great lessons in our verses this evening. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Let's ask God's blessing tonight. Father, We count it a privilege to come together in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the freedom we have in our country to do that very thing. We ask God that 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 freedom would just continue to increase and not decrease. The freedom of religion here in America is such a valuable, valuable thing. And so, Lord, as we gather tonight, we're very thoughtful of our nation. We pray for our nation, Lord, as we go through a transition this Friday We just pray, Lord, for not only our outgoing president and his family, we pray for the incoming president. We ask, God, that you would give wisdom, wisdom that comes from you, not from a man, but from you. We thank you for for Brother Pence, who's in the White House as well, the vice president, a a wonderful believer whom uh, confesses, professes to know Jesus Christ. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use him uh, to bring just that that wonderful blessing to our nation through his, his testimony. We ask, God, that as we come to your word tonight, that we, Lord, would just stand at attention to it, that we would listen to it, that we would obey it. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us some things that we can apply to our lives as well. So we turn now to you and, and your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Again, in these first uh, 15 verses of our chapter, there, there's a small but powerful story. If, you're, uh, if you've got a history of reading the scripture, you'll be very familiar with this story because it, it really helps us to understand that God is involved in every aspect of our lives. And there really is no problem. There's no difficulty when it comes to God. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Although, I think that sometimes we are like Sarah, that we allow whatever it might be in our family, in our health, in our finances, in our world, we allow that to become a, it's too hard for the Lord. I got to take care of it. It's too hard for the Lord. He doesn't care. We, we begin to doubt our strong and powerful God. That is what we'll see tonight. It's this issue of unbelief in Sarah that kind of uh, shows itself in the scripture that we'll read. I don't know how many of you have ever prayed for something, that you've had to wait for the Lord to answer something that, that really is important in your life. In this case... Abram has been told by the Lord two things. Number one, that he's going to have a lot of children, a lot of offspring. In fact, one time in the scriptures, he's told that like the dust on the earth, his children, his descendants will be like the dust. I don't know, got a lot of dust at my house. There's a lot of dust in the world. That's that's quite a, uh, a promise. Not only that, but he was, when doubting God, God took him outside, said, look in the heavens, look at the sky. See all those stars? And if you've ever been to Israel, no lights. And back in this time, there's no lights. He's looking up into the sky, and he sees billions, I mean millions of stars. And God says, as the number of the stars are, so will your descendants be. This is a promise that Abram has, or Abraham has received, but he's still childless. He's, he's almost 100. He's 99 years old. Not only that, but God's promised him land, and none of those things have really happened. And so, as you recall, Sarah and Abram devised a plan. They didn't want to wait. They 
They took Sarah. Sarah gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abram to his, for a wife. They tried, and, and she got pregnant, had a baby. Uh, Ishmael was the offspring, and they were just trying to help God out. But God rejected, as you recall, God rejected that son that they had fabricated, that they in their flesh had worked out. Because God doesn't accept the works in our flesh. He has a spiritual work that he wants to do. And he wants to do it in a way that's miraculous and that you and I can't say, did you see how I fixed that? Did you see how I made a good decision? Did you see how I stood up and and manned up and made this happen? No. Did you see how God did it? Did you see my awesome God do this wonderful, powerful thing? He wants to receive all the glory. So instead of helping God out, we need to trust the Lord that he can help us in all of these different areas of our life. You remember, Hagar has a child, Ishmael, caused all kinds of problems between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah started beating Hagar. She had to run away. It caused all kinds of problems between Sarai and Abram at that time. Sarah and Abraham, they had problems as well. If you go back to to chapter 17 really quick, and you'll see in verse 19 that God, we looked at this last week, that God rejected Ishmael when when, uh, Abram said, "Uh, God, couldn't you just bless my son? He's my son. You can bless him. And God said, verse 19 of chapter 17, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So God had a plan. Um, Man's plan, Abram and Sarah's plan was rejected. God had a plan. And so we learn by looking at this story, this is our application, we learn that we need to trust the Lord, that we need to wait on the Lord, that we need to pray and seek the Lord that God has a purpose, that God has a plan, and through trials and testings in our lifetimes, just like Abram and Sarai, like Abraham and Sarah, just like they went through these difficulties, and every time they learned, they grew a little bit more, a little bit more. Our lives are just the same. We go through a series of things, and God, we don't like it. It's uncomfortable, right? You don't like trials. I don't like trials. But God does that to produce in our lives this uh, maturity. And he, he wants us to grow. He wants us to be. So in our text tonight, we find Abram. He's sitting at the, the tent. He's under this big tree. I believe he's praying. It doesn't say that in the text. But I believe you'd be praying if you were in his place. 99. I've been promised children. I don't have them. I tried Ishmael, but God's rejected. Lord, what am I doing? I don't understand. He's outside. He's praying. That's where we find him uh, this evening. Look at verse 1. My first point that you'll notice is God shows up for dinner. This is really interesting. Verse 1, chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to Abram by this terebinth tree of Mamre, an oak tree, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So Abram lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, there were three men standing beside him. And when he saw them, he he ran from the tent door. Now, he's 99, so this is kind of an interesting thought here. He ran from the tent door to to meet them. Then he bowed himself to the ground before them, and he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they, these three, said, do as you have said. Now, it's not that unusual that someone would be sitting under a tree in the heat of the day. Uh, Abram here is sitting in front of his tent. And he's having quiet time, I believe. He's just sitting there. No rocking chair. You know, he's, he's 99. But I, I, again, I believe he's praying. And it's at this moment that he's going to meet this. Now, he calls him my Lord. I'm not sure if he really understands who this person is. Because he really doesn't acknowledge him right away. He, say, he says my Lord, which would be a, a common greeting. 
And it's at this moment that he's meeting with these three people that he gets up and he, he does this customary thing. In this day, there's no 7-Eleven. You've got to keep that in mind. There's, there's no place for refreshment. You've got to get water out of the running brook if there's one. And so he's in the heat of the day, and he sees these three guys walking toward him, and he goes to greet them. This would have been a customary greeting. This would have been uh, natural and normal in this day and age to greet or help someone that is walking out of the desert in the middle of the day. And the application here as the way, or as I see it, is we've kind of been in the same place. We've been in the same place where we've been waiting, we're in the, the cool of the day or the heat of the day, and we're praying. Well, there's something on our mind, we're praying about it, and obviously he's got something on his mind as we continue from chapter 17 to Chapter 18, I, God's rejected my son. I don't know. I'm getting old. How's this going to work out? Lord, what are you going to do? I don't understand what you're, you're doing. He's wondering. He's praying. When is your promise, Lord? When is it going to come to fruition? When is it going to happen? How will you accomplish what you say in this 99-year-old body? How, how are you going to do this? And it could be that maybe tonight, here's the application. Maybe tonight you're waiting for something. Maybe it's your husband who's not a believer. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe you have a physical need. And so you're praying like Abram. You're praying, you're waiting, you're waiting. And I love this truth. God comes to him. I believe that God will meet us in our time of need. That's shown throughout the scripture. I believe it's happened in my life in many different cases. Uh, the Lord has met me. Now, I haven't seen him like Abram is seeing him now. I, I haven't seen God. But I do believe that God's met me at my point of need. He's come when I've, I've been praying and seeking him. But here's the important point that, that you really need to, to grasp here. It's in his time of need that we find him sitting and praying. And it's at that time that God comes and meets him because God wants to to take care of this issue in his life. God wants to answer our prayer. And so we need to stop. We need to get to that quiet place. He had a place under a tree next to a tent where he just sat and, and prayed. Do you have a place like that? Do you have a place where you commune with God? A place where it's quiet, where you, you just say, Lord, there's something impossible in my life that you have to do. I can't move this mountain. I can't handle this financial burden. I can't change the heart of my husband or my wife. I can't do it. Do you have a place that you can go and pray? That's exactly where we find Abraham tonight. Now, God doesn't appear to him like a flash of light. Remember, it was the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 6. There was this lightning, boom, and it hit him, and it blinded him. It was a flash of light. That's how God appeared to Paul. Moses was up on the mountain. He saw it was a dramatic scene, a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And, and there was the easily recognizable God. The Lord was there in that bush. The Lord was in the light in front of Paul. And in 1 Kings, it's Elisha. It's a story that I love. It's, it's, there's this strong wind that comes. In the, and the scripture says, but, but the Lord wasn't in the strong wind. And then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't in the, any of those things. And then here's the scripture. I'll show it to you here in 1 Kings. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, the earthquake. But the Lord was in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, there it is. What is it? A still, small voice. God will meet you in that quiet place. It's so important for you to have a quiet place, someplace where you can go and meet with the Lord. And that's what we're seeing here. Abraham's encounter with the Lord here is, is God chooses to come and, and, sh and not be a, in a light or a fire or a whirlwind. God comes just quietly and in the form of a man. God takes the form of a man here. Now, I believe this is a Christophany in the scripture where, where God, you know, God the Son is appearing and, uh, before his incarnation. 
That's what I believe this is. But he comes, and he's got two other guys. There's three people there together, three men, and these three come together. We're going to find out later in chapter 19, verse 1. You can look there if you want. But it tells us who they are. They're angels. So it's the Lord and a couple of angels that come. And then Abram, which is the custom of the day, Abraham is going to invite them to eat. He's going to wash their feet and invite them to stay for dinner. So Abram, he tells 90-year-old Sarah, now he's, he's already gone forward, and he said, hey, I want you guys to stay for dinner. And they say, okay, we'll stay with you. So he runs back to the tent, and he says, Sarah, Sarah, we've got some guests. We've got to make a big meal. And she's, she's 90. He's 99. And it's kind of an interesting uh, picture here. My next point here is, is him ordering, as Abraham orders a quick meal, verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And he said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. That's a lot, by the way, three measures. That's a, he's making a, a big feast here. Verse 7, and Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a tender goat from the calf. He's in a hurry here. He's quickly, he's moving fast, it says. I'd love to see this picture. And he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before them and stood by them under the tree as they ate. So the picture is Sarah is making, and he's cooking, and then probably the maids in their house. Remember, he was a wealthy man. He had servants. So all these people, there's a flurry of excitement here, and they're cooking. Really interesting. I think that Abraham, he, he has an idea that who, who he's seeing here, but he's not quite sure he wants to impress them. He wants to, to uh, uh, entertain them. But he's not quite sure who they are. And it really reminds me of Hebrews. There's a verse in Hebrews. It's really interesting. You've seen it before. In Hebrews 13, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, you've unwittingly entertained angels. In other words, there's, uh, there's these things in our lives. Sometimes we, we reject that person with a need, and maybe it's an angel. We're, we're to be real careful. You know, God's people are not to be judgmental. It's really hard to do, though. It's hard not to judge somebody you see by what they're wearing, by the way they smell. By what, but we don't, you don't know. You don't know anything about them. In God's church, we are to be very, very careful that we don't judge people that walk through the door based on what they look like. We are not to do that. Did you know that? As a church, we're supposed to love everybody. It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what they smell like. We're supposed to, to reach out to them. Now, it's a hard thing to do because we all judge people based on the outward appearance. But God judges a person by the heart, doesn't he? That's how he wants. He wants us to accept and love everybody. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what persuasion they are. doesn't matter what color their skin. It, it doesn't, none of those things matter to God. In fact, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where Jesus, he rebukes the, the Pharisee and, and what they stand for. He, he hated what they stood for. He never hated the person, but he hated what they stood for. And then the next thing you know, a Pharisee says, hey, you want to come over for dinner, Jesus? And Jesus says, sure, I'll come and eat. I mean, one time he's saying, woe to you Pharisees, you know, and, he, and then the next moment he's eating with them. And you remember the Jews, they hated that. You're eating with those sinners. All to just help us understand that we're not supposed to judge that way. We're supposed to be very, very careful. And, and in this case, this Hebrews verse that's gone now, but, but there are times that we entertain angels and we don't even know it. Christian, be real careful. I believe the writer of the Hebrews, that verse we just looked at in Hebrews 13 I believe he's thinking about this episode that we're reading about tonight in Genesis 18. Because without knowing their identity, he's not sure yet. He doesn't know. He's, he's entertaining them. He's prepared them a gourmet meal, really. And the suggestion in that verse in Hebrews is that this could happen to you and me. So we have to be very careful about that. Here's the question. Why is Abram in such a hurry here? He's quickly moving. He's moving all around here. And, and I believe it was because in this time, in this culture, that moving quickly showed that person, your guest, that you were really concerned about them. If you came over to my house, or, or better yet, you invited me to your house. You invite me to your house. Pastor Lee, come on over for, for dinner. 
not come over to, let's meet at Starbucks for coffee. I mean, I like that, but, but come over to my house because I want to prepare you a meal. That's one way to say, you know, I, I care about you. And, and I've been invited. I'm not asking tonight for that. It was really interesting. Christmas, I got a lot of, from, from, from many people, I got these cards. Uh, I got some for Lucille's. I got some for uh, In-N-Out. Quite a few for In-N-Out. It's kind of cool. I took John Deming out yesterday to In-N-Out. We got a hamburger at In-N-Out. Somebody gave me a card. It was just, it was a blessing. But when you make a meal for somebody, that means I, I care about you. I come into my house. That's what he's doing here. He's showing this respect and hospitality. But it's here in, in verses 9 through 15 that we get the kind of the meat of the story. Because instead of cooking, we find Sarah, she's eavesdropping. She's listening in on this, this conversation. And then she laughs at what she hears. That's why I've labeled this next point, Sarah's laughter of unbelief. It's really a, a laughter of unbelief. Look at verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, well, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, I think that it's at this moment, click, the light goes on. How does he know my wife's name? We're outside the tent. He knows my wife's in the tent. How does he know that? How does he know her name? So this, this isn't a stranger. Abram doesn't know who he is, but now he knows it's the Lord. It's the Lord because he knows something behind the veil of the tent there. He knows his wife's back there. And, and he knows what the promise God had given to him earlier, that I'm going to give you a son, and it's going to come from your own body. We've heard that. We've, so he's now, I believe, recognizing this is no ordinary man. This is the Lord. He knows that these three visitors are from heaven and not just from some other town down the road. But Sarah, she's listening. Notice verse 10 again. It's at the end of verse 10. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was right behind him. Now Abraham, verse 11, and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Now, this is really interesting. Notice, she's not laughing out loud. She hears, Sarah's going to have a baby. And inside, she's laughing. <laughs> Fat chance. <laughs> I mean, she's doubting. This is a, a laugh of doubt. This isn't a hilarious, jovial laughter here. This is, I believe, a, a laugh uh, of doubt. She's listening, and she hears all this about, about this time next year. You know, she's going to have a son. So she's laughing. She realizes that these men are talking about her. Now, she's 90 years old, and they've just told her at 90 she's going to get pregnant. Now, ladies, think about that. We had, our, we had Philip. Esther was pregnant, I think, 37 when we had Philip. 37. This woman is 90. And we, that was our fifth. We, Philip was our fifth. We were feeling old at 37, you know. We're 59 now, and we're old, but, but at 37, I remember feeling, oh, we're really old, and how are we going to do this with another child? And it, we're, We were good, though. It worked. It, <laughs> but this, this is just a funny picture to me, that she's, she's laughing because she doesn't believe it. I, I'm 90 years old. I, I, I don't believe it. These men, the Lord here and these angels, they're telling Abraham, that his child is going to be a product of, of a, a sexual relationship between a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. That's what she's laughing at. And, and that in nine months from, from this point, she's going to have a baby pop out of her womb. <laughs> See, you're laughing. That, that's what she's laughing at. She goes, there's no way. This, this just can't happen. That's, that's what she's laughing at. And it's back in verse 12, it says, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I've grown old, notice what she says, shall I have pleasure, <laughs> my Lord being old, old also? I mean, she's seeing what you're laughing about tonight because they're both old. And, and it, it's just funny to her, but she's saying, ha, th I, uh, this isn't going to happen. This couldn't happen. 
Now, Abraham, how many years has it been that he's told her that God has promised them a son, that a son's going to come from my body, and you're my wife. It's got to come from you. It's been over 25 years that, that Abraham had told Sarah, we're going to have a son, we're going to have a son, month after month, year after year, and it hasn't happened. So now she hears it from these two strangers, and she's going to have a son, and she, <laughs> I mean, th- that's the scene that the scriptures are indicating here. How can an old woman have a child? So she laughed it off. It's impossible, she's thinking. Now, in verse 13, this is really really interesting. Notice who overhears her laughter. And the Lord said to Abram, not one of the angels, but the Lord. Now, he hasn't seen her. He hasn't talked to her. She's behind the tent veil, right? She's, She's back there. And the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And the scripture says that she laughed within herself, right? So she didn't laugh out loud. This is really important for you, Christians, and for me too. God hears everything. You might not have said it verbally, but God heard it in your heart. Like right now, you could be saying, I wish Pastor Lee would hurry up. I want to go home. I'm cold. I'm cold. I want to get out of here. God hears that. I don't hear it. I'm glad I don't hear it, but, but God hears it. And, and more importantly, whining. Whining about, Lord, when are you going to do this? Are you really real, God? I really doubt my salvation. I doubt you tonight because you haven't answered my, but you didn't say it verbally, but God hears your heart. God heard Sarah laugh. And the Lord said there in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh saying, surely I shall bear a child since I am old? Her laughter is a, a laughter of unbelief. She didn't believe God's promise to her husband And unbelief is a very serious sin, Christians. Very serious to to not believe God's promises. It's equal to us saying, God, you are a liar. Wow. When you don't believe the promise of God and the things that he said, you are calling God a liar. It's a very serious thing. Now, I know that all of us struggle with this area of life. I think everyone does. I hope that as you grow in the Lord, you struggle with it less and less. When you first come to the Lord, there are times of unbelief. And everyone has gone through that. Listen, if you've been a Christian a month or a year or five years, you're going to go through this trial. God, God, are you listening? God, did you hear me? I'm asking, but you're not answering. And then you start to get in a place where you Stop believing in some areas of your life, and then God wakes you up, and God does something in your life. It could be a worship set. It could be a message. It could be something on the radio, but God will wake you up, and you go, oh, gee, that was a bad dream. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I'm sorry I didn't believe you. We, we all go through that, but I hope that when you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that, that you're able to say, you know, I, I just believe the Lord. I just trust in his word. I'm not a person of unbelief. Like Sarah, she's laughing and she's doubting. She's got this sense of unbelief. That's why she laughed there. And notice what the Lord says here to Sarah. And it really speaks to all of us who struggle with that. Look Look at verse 14, and here's my point. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isn't that a great question? That's a rhetorical question, right? It expects an answer. And the answer is what? No. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And so that's that's the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, verse 15, saying, I didn't laugh. I I behave. I'm good. I, I, I didn't. I mean, I see her just, she's backing away here real quick. And it says, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. The Lord pulls out, you know, pulls out all the stops and kind of busts her right at that point. Now, again, this is a real interesting question that the Lord asks her. And and he could be asking you this question tonight. Think about this question. Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't know what you're going through. 
financially? Is anything too hard from the Lord or for the Lord? God owns everything. Physically, is anything too hard for the Lord? Maritally or relationally, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think when you ask yourself that question, you'll get it. It'll be like a punch to your gut. You're going to go, oh, man, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And so, really, this issue is with Sarah and her unbelief. That's, that's what the issue is in the story. Now, I love how this story unfolds here. It's after the meal. They sit and they eat and they're entertained and they eat this meal. And then right after the meal, the guest asks Abraham, he says, where is Sarah, your wife? Again, knowing her name and, and indicating these aren't ordinary men. And, and it's the Lord that knows exactly what she's thinking. She laughed, verse 12, to herself as she thought about what they had said. And again, there's a, there's a difference in her laughter of unbelief and the laughter we heard last week in chapter 17. And I, I just wanted to look at those two just to give you the, 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 uh, just the difference in those two. Abraham laughed. When he heard this promise again, when he said, hey, Ishmael is, 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 is my son, bless him. And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to call his name Laughter. Um, that's what Isaac means. You're going to call him Isaac. And Abraham laughed at that. And, and Abraham's laugh was, laughter was kind of a laugh of joy. If you go back to chapter 17, just look back at chapter 17, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And how do you fall on your face? I don't know. He just he couldn't stand up. He's laughing. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Remember, he's 99. He's nine months away. He's going to age. And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? (laughs) He's laughing, laughing this whole time. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That's when God says no. So he's laughing, laughing, and all of a sudden, the Lord tells him no. But, but his laughter seems to be joy and, and like, this is incredible. God, you're a miraculous God. Oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see it all. That, that's what is being portrayed here in the scripture. Abraham would have told Sarah about his laughter and about what God had promised to, uh, for them to have a baby. But Sarah's laughter is different because she, although she knows she's not believing God, it's like, huh. I'll believe it when I see it. Her laughter is, is different. It's important to see the, the difference between their laughter there. And the Lord comes to Sarah. He hears what she says in her heart. And he confronts Sarah in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's his confrontation. That's his, his, his punch to her, his jab at her, his waking her up, shaking her to help her understand. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Here's the application. You and I always try to figure a way out. We try to manipulate people or things or our bank account, whatever it might be. We, we try to manipulate the situation to work it out. Because we prayed and we haven't heard from God, so obviously we need to do something to help him out. I, I, I was thinking about this story and how it relates to some New Testament stories about Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000, and, and the 5,000 he fed were primarily, they counted men in those days. So it could have been 20,000 people that he fed. And he goes up to Philip, and he asks Philip in John 6, He says, Philip, look at all these people around here. Where are you going to buy bread enough to feed them all? You know, Philip, I guess Philip's the cook. I guess Philip was the guy that would go to town or make the bread. I don't know. But Jesus looks at Philip. He says, Philip, where are you going to get enough food for this this huge mass of people? It's like Staples Center filled with people. How are you going to feed them all? And Philip is probably like, duh, you know. He's dumbfounded by the question that Jesus asks. And then the disciple's solution was, you know, 
let's just send them away for dinner. You know, I, I don't think we can handle this. There's just way too much. Just send them off so they can buy their own bread. But the Lord tested Philip by saying, where are you going to buy bread? In other words, he's helping Philip understand that, that there's no way that he's ever going to, this is an impossible situation, humanly speaking. You can't answer this. You can't do this. You have to come to God for this. And, and that's the application for us tonight. There are things in our lives, each one of you have things right now in your life that are impossible. You can't handle it. You can't work it out. It, this is something that God has to do. It's time to find that quiet place and wait on the Lord. It's time to just trust in the Lord. Don't laugh with doubt like Sarah, but trust in the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In John chapter 6, Philip, he was doing the things that we would do. I, I, I really can't do this, and I, I can't afford it. I, there's not enough. You know, he, he goes on to say in that text, he, he immediately gets out his calculator, and he goes, uh, 200 denarii is not enough, Lord. You know, he, he goes right to try to figure it out on his little calculator, whatever that was. You know, I guess they had those little things, you know. What are those called? Arabicus or? Abacus. Thank you. Abacus. Remember those little things with all the balls on, those Roman counters? He probably had one of those, and he figured 200 denarii. That's what we need to feed all these people. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money, but, but that's not enough. That wouldn't even be enough to feed all these people, Jesus. We can't do this. This is an impossible situation. But we need to understand that what we see as impossible, God can do anything. Is there anything impossible for God, for the Lord? You see, that, that's, that's what the point that I believe is coming, emerging from this text. Again, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what the impossibility for you is. But here's the point from the text. With God, all things are possible. And you and I as men and women of faith, we need to believe that God has a plan, he has a purpose, and we just need to fit into his plan. We need to wait on the Lord. It's, it's hard to wait on the Lord. I think we all struggle with that, waiting on the Lord. But we need to wait. With God, all things are possible. Again, I, as I prayed about this today, I thought about some of you that have a spouse that's not saved and how difficult that is. And you know what? Even though I don't talk to you about it, I know, and I pray. And your brothers and sisters around you, we, we're not going to continue to to ask and ask and ask, to bother. But we know and we pray. And we ask the Lord on your behalf. And, and you need to seek your brothers and sisters' prayer when you have that kind of a impossible situation. It's interesting, again, this situation was overwhelming to Sarah, overwhelming to Abraham. And Abraham finally got to that place where he was just trusting in the Lord. Maybe tonight, your situation, you think it's so far gone that your loved one, uh, maybe it's a wayward child. They've they, they're, they're into drugs so much, they're far gone. They're, they're drinking so much, they'll never be able to return. There's too many drugs in their life. My son, he's never going to turn to the Lord. And you, you kind of stop believing that God can save, that God can heal. Do you understand what the text is, is teaching us? There is nothing impossible for the Lord. Nothing. We need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. That God can do anything. With God, all things are possible. And we need to trust him. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. All things, including the salvation of the very worst sinner you, you can think of. There's nothing impossible for the Lord. In other words, when... You factor God into the equation. There's nothing that God can't change. He can change anything. And I, I really believe that's why the Lord confronts Sarah with her sin. And I believe that God will confront you and I when we doubt him. He's going to confront us in some way. Some brother or sister is going to challenge you. Somebody's going to say something uh, to you to help you get your focus back on the Lord and not on that situation, trusting the Lord for those, those things. Now, there's an, another important insight here that I want to share with the men, with husbands tonight. 
And this is really interesting that the Lord, he confronts Abraham and not Sarah right away. This is really important for you to understand because all through the scripture, God has ordered, just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, order in the, over the universe. There's order on the planet in many different ways. There's order in the family. There's the husband, the wife, and the children. And that's the order that God, throughout Old and New Testament, continues to share. And I, I believe it's something that we need to really take to heart. But, but God confronts Abraham about Sarah's sin. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, notice this question, why did Sarah laugh? In other words, what did you tell her? Did not you lead her in prayer of faith or, or encourage her when she thought this was impossible? Didn't you talk to her? Now remember that split that they had when, when uh, uh, Abram had uh, this new wife, Hagar, given, obviously, by his wife, Sarai. And that created a rift, and you would understand the rift, right? There's a problem there maritally. There was a big problem there. And now God's holding Abraham accountable for not talking to his wife, not praying for his wife, not supporting her, encouraging her, because she's now doubting the Lord. Ha! This is never going to happen. I can't believe that Abraham didn't come and talk to her. And say, honey, God told me, oh, forget it, whatever, you know. There's this marital problem between the two of them. But God is holding Abraham responsible for what God has already told Abraham that he's going to do in his family back in chapter 17. And what this means is that Abraham is spiritually responsible for his family, and I believe that's true to this day. I believe that the man, the husband in the home is, is spiritually responsible. If you don't have a husband that's spiritual, meaning he, he doesn't love God, then you have to do your best, wife, Christian, lady, you have to do your best to grow in the Lord. And God's going to be your husband, and God's going to mature you, and God loves you. He, he's not going to fail you. But men fail in the home in this area of leadership, spiritually speaking. I've seen it happen uh, in the many years I've been here at this church. But it's interesting. Again, he confronts, the Lord confronts uh, Abraham. And then notice also Sarah's unbelief. It leads to this sin, this next sin. First it's unbelief, and then the second sin Sarah deals with is her denial. Notice she denied her unbelief, verse 15, but Sarah denied it. I didn't laugh. For she was afraid, it says. Now, pretty foolish when you think about trying to hide from the Lord. I don't think she knew that this was the Lord. Um, she's not very spiritual at this point in time. But God doesn't let her off the hook. And I believe because God loves you and I, he loved Abraham and Sarah. He had this great plan for them. He loved them. So he's not going to let her off the hook. He's going to force her to face her sin. Has that ever happened to you? It happened to me. God will force us to, to and, and that's not a bad thing. That's really a good thing for us to understand that God wants us to, to confront our sin. That's why John in 1 John writes, if we confess or agree with God that we're sinners, that we have sin, he then is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's why it's important for us to identify sin. Here, she's, she's denying her sin, but God doesn't let her off the hook. And he confronts her at the end of verse 15, no, but you did laugh. In other words, he got in her face over her sin. And I love that about God. He, he loves you too much to allow you to continue in your sin. And then again, his question is anything too hard for the Lord? This gives really good perspective because it forces her to come back to the Lord. It forces her to put her faith back in the Lord. And so here's the application. Is there anything that you can think of which would make the Lord say, you know, I don't think I can fix that. In other words, have you made God so small that... that 
Lord, I don't think you can do it, and here's what it is, and, and you're expecting this response from the Lord, I really don't think I, I'm interested or I can fix that. That's what unbelief does. It causes you to sin. It causes you not to trust in the Lord and his promises. It, causes, it really shrinks God down into this little teeny God instead of the, the, the God of all creation, the omnipotent, omniscient God that we know and love. You shrink him down when you have, unbelief is a thief. It's something I've learned over the years. I think Wiersbe wrote that in a commentary. Unbelief is a thief. It rips you off as a Christian. We need to believe and trust always in the Lord. It brought Sarah to do these. Unbelief brought her to to laugh at the Lord. Unbelief brought her to sin against the Lord. She lied to the Lord, telling the Lord she didn't laugh. You know, the most loving thing that God can do to her is confront her and make you and I face our sin, the sin of unbelief. And it's so beautiful when you finally admit the truth. God, I, I haven't trusted you for whatever it was. I, I, I haven't. When you do that, you'll get back in this place where nothing is too hard for the Lord. You get back into that place where you believe, hey, so, so I don't know where you're at tonight. Are you in the place, Sarah, where you, God hasn't answered your prayer and, and you're, not, you're tired of waiting and, and you just don't believe anymore? Or are you in this place where the Lord, he can do everything. There's nothing that the Lord cannot do. And I trust him. I trust him with my family, with my job. I trust him with all the things that he's given to me in my lifetime. I trust him with everything, every problem every difficulty, every hardship, every sickness. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Again, the question comes, I've I've mentioned this several times, but is there a family problem? Is there a hardship? Is there something too difficult for the Lord to handle? No, there isn't. God can handle anything in our lives. God can do anything. He can deliver you. He can help you. He can provide for you. It doesn't matter what your difficulty is. God is in control. And I believe that when God confronted her, when he confronted her in her unbelief, in her lie, that Sarah was renewed, that Sarah's faith was renewed like the scripture says, like our our, our faith is renewed like youth, the youth of an eagle. You know, we get this new inspired youth. And even in her pregnancy, because the scripture says in Hebrews, look what, this, what Hebrews writer says, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. See, God confronted her in, in chapter 18 here when God told her that she was going to have a child, when she overheard, pardon me, that she was going to have a child. Ha, I don't believe that. But then God confronted her and said, why, why don't you believe? I mean, listen, you... you've gone to these different places. God's confronting her with this. It was the best thing for her because look what it says. She now has this received strength to conceive a seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who made the promise. See, something's changed in Sarah now. And it was God who confronted her. When God confronts you, Christian, that's a good thing whether it's through his word, whether it's through a servant, whether it's through a message or, or something that you read in a daily devotional, whatever it is, God loves you. He loves you too much to just let you go. He's going to confront you and your sin. And just like Sarah, I love this, she received strength to conceive seed. When we trust God to do the humanly impossible, when we trust him to do that, he rewards. She's 90, and she's going to conceive. I, I, now, even though she's 90 and older, do you think that as a woman she had joy bearing a child? Don't, don't you think that brought tremendous joy to her heart? I don't care what age she was. I, 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 she, she had strength. God renewed her strength, and she put her faith in the Lord, and she saw God as faithful. I love that. And one other thing that God rewarded Sarah and her renewed faith was laughter. This isn't the laughter of doubt that we saw here in verse 12 of chapter 18. 
it's replaced with another kind of laughter. I want you to jump ahead and we'll close with this section in chapter 21. Go to chapter 21 and we'll close with this section here. This is describing the birth of little Isaac in chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So, so God comes to her now. He visited her and he did what he promised for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Abraham, or Sarah bore to him, laughter, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Isn't that a great story? God takes this laughter of unbelief, and he turns it into this laughter of joy. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the word tonight. We are so grateful for this story. It just brings real joy and a smile to our face. Lord, to see you working. You never gave up on Sarah and her unbelief. You never flinched in your divine plan, but you brought it all to pass, just as your word says. Your, your word to them was true. The Bible, your word to us is true. Oh, Lord, that we would trust in your promises, that we, each one of us here tonight, would say there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Nothing too hard for you, O oh Lord. And Lord, I, I just want to close our service by praying for, for those that are here that are truly burdened. Maybe it's, it's unbelief that's crept in their life because of, of something that, that truly is impossible, and they've thrown their hands up and said, nobody even cares. You don't, you don't even care. Lord, I, I pray that you would replace that, that unbelief with belief that you would cause them, Lord, to repent. And tonight that they would come to you and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my unbelief. And Father, I pray as a fellowship that just as last year we saw you do some impossible things with people in our church. Humanly speaking, they were impossible, but Lord, you worked. I pray that you would continue to do that work. Pray that you would continue to make Vina's body strong with that new kidney, that, that you would touch our sister who had that stroke, Lord, um, Victor Romero's wife, Lily. We pray, Lord, for Lily as she is continuing to grow stronger and stronger each day. What a, what a marvelous miracle. And, and others in our fellowship, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to receive all glory and honor, doing impossible things as we wait on you. And Lord, can I just ask that you would resolve the issue with this property that we have? We ask, God, that you would just resolve it. For your glory and for your great name, we pray that you would do what's been impossible the last three and a half years, that you'd bring together people, that that deal would happen, and, and we would be out from underneath that that property that we've had. Lord, we will trust you and we will obey you. And your people, Lord, will, will trust you, believing that there's nothing impossible, nothing too hard for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.